welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to Catholic Stuff Podcast. This is Jacob Machado with... This is Father Mike, your old friend. Yes, cozy and comfy from the Companion's House. That's right. Uh, what just happened, Father Mike? The Avalanche, Colorado... Well, I think you're referring to this. Colorado Avalanche exactly win <laughs> with five seconds to go. Advance to the third round of the playoffs. I love this because probably, hopefully, when this is airing, the Avs have already won the Stanley Cup. Uh, oh, but come on, knows? don't jinx us. <laughs> I, are you knows? superstitious? Do you believe in that stuff? Not at all. The jinx? I did when Where I was did in that high school word playing come baseball. From? Jinx has probably has some like bad connotation or some... I know. I probably shouldn't <laughs> ask that. There's some like fact checker out there that's... We should, start, we should start back checking the podcast. There's the. Uh, do you listen to Freakonomics podcast? No, I've I've heard a couple. At episodes. the end of everyone, they've got a fact checker, and they fact no. check these specific. No, episode. trust me, you do not want that. <laughs> not for me. Not for us. It's going to be a list. I'm going to get self conscious. <laughs> It'll be an entire second podcast. Yeah. After. No, no, no. I like the freedom to talk nonsense and. So Avs won uh, three two. Yep. After a heartbreak against the St. Louis Blues in Game Six. Away, so, away, yeah. yeah. It was in St. Louis, um, and we were uh, we were watching the game with a bunch of friends, uh, including uh, a good friend, Father Nathan Goble, who so, is a diehard Blues fan. Yes, and uh, our condolences. But he was a great sport, and uh, he he rocked. I think he was the only Blues jersey in the entire restaurant. Yeah, he don't mind, and uh, and he took it and and he dished it out when they were up one zero, and when they were up two one. Uh, so it was good. Yeah, it was a fun time. I love that setting. I, you know, I will watch a lot of games with my dad or something like low key, and to be out at the bar and having the whole crowd going wild and everybody's yeah. giving each other high fives and yeah, we're definitely out of COVID. I mean, packed bar, everybody's high fiving each other. That's true. I didn't see a mask <laughs> in the house. My little brother came. Um, not too little. I mean, he's only he's eight years younger than me, but he's old enough to be in a sports bar. So. Uh, but he uh, he leaned over to me. He's like, "This is the most fun I've ever had at a sports bar." I was yeah. like, "How many have you been to?" Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm wondering, like, yeah, they're pretty fun. <laughs> Generally, I don't know if he's been to some. I think he kind of, yeah, wandered into the wrong pubs. They're like curling contests <laughs> <laughs> on TV. Yeah, it's uh, up up north, I guess. I don't know. Are you into curling when you watch the Olympics? I watch it. I was more into it in high school because I was just being. Like contrarian. Oh yeah, that's you. Oh, curling's cool. Let me tell you yeah, why. So hipster. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I like contests, but curling. What about uh, parallel parking? Parallel you good parking. At that? Uh, when nobody's watching, I'm great. We have these roads that are all like one ways and yeah. real tight. And I, I went around the front. I'm I'm living with the companions now. We're we're in downtown Denver area, and. Uh, We've got some parking spots at the house, but you always want to look for one not in those spots if you can get it. Yeah, to free them up for other and, guys. Uh, I pulled I pulled past one this this evening coming back, and I thought I could fit in it. And I flip a Yui, come back, and I get next to it, and I start coming in. I'm like, now nah, this is maybe a smart car spot. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to kind of estimate that thing. I've been pretty bad at it this summer. I'm like doing the curb check. <laughs> and uh have to reset and everything and if there's cars that are like waiting for you to park that's where i just get nervous i panic yeah. i panic i'll even like leave a spot 
because I can't figure it out. And you don't, I'm adjusting, you don't do the adjusting. pull in 45 degree with just your nose picking out and like stick your hand out the window, waving them through. Wave. Oh, please, please, please. <laughs> um, yeah. I usually just bail. I'm a coward. I got to pray for that. Pray for that fortitude from the Holy Spirit. Pray for Father Mike for fortitude. No, I'm all right. Parallel parking. I don't know. I shouldn't exaggerate <laughs> that. I'm a decent parallel parker. I you feel like I feel car. like there's somebody. Oh, this guy from um, from New Mexico, um, Father Angelo. He was showing me his car will automatically parallel park you. It's really odd. He, yeah. it's, he's driving a Volkswagen and he just pushes a button and then it'll just do its thing. Use the it's cameras, got cameras sensors. on both sides. I think it's cheating. Don't you have to? How are you gonna? You got to pass that in the driver's test, don't you? Well, just bring your car that has the sensors in the video yeah no <laughs> cheaters i don't know yeah well that's uh these I mean, kids are getting too soft i know you you like science fiction a little bit what do you think of uh the way technology is going are we are we becoming too too adapted to uh technology we're losing our humanity or do you think we're uh we're gonna have a nice synthesis i don't know i don't know that's a little too advanced for me i I I do kind of have concerns about this. Um, what is the anthro? Shoot, what is it called? Like transhumanism. Yeah. That's what it is. Where they're starting to like morph us into robots and mm-hmm. integrate with um, I don't know in- technology and internet stuff. I don't know where the line is. I'm not too worried. I'm not like a crisis guy and <laughs> apocalyptic. Um, yeah, worrier. But sure, I mean, theoretically, I think it could po- pose a problem. I'm a historian, so I've seen this, like, throughout history, there's always advancements, and then people mm-hmm. saying, oh, no, this will be our destruction and everything. And things are good and bad, you know, yeah. like an atomic bomb, um, pretty destructive, still causing lots of trouble, and it had, there's some cool stuff with, like, um, potential for nuclear um, power and then power plants. So there's always good and bad with right. technology. Do you think as a historian, how much, uh, how much technology do you think is lost to history that we don't even kind of realize hmm. what it was? I mean, how the, how the Egyptians built the pyramids or how, yeah, that's a the, big the one. Ancient wonders of the world. Yeah. The Mayans um, and the Easter Island and all that stuff. I think a lot of technology is lost and then you come up with new stuff and, it just depends. Like history is written or studied according to artifacts. So if the artifacts go away, you can't capture ideas. Like yeah. what were the techniques for? Um, I don't know. Like um, architecture, design. You know what are the equations by which people are um, calculating things? We can only see tools. So if the tools look primitive. Like here, you put a stick in the sand, and now when the sun goes this way, but the technique, you build all we that. Had no idea. But it's like now they must have had yeah some pretty advanced sort of uh, equations and observations that assisted in doing something so remarkable. Yeah, I, I mean, I, look at this, and and then just like the ingenuity of people. I'm amazed by how people got to Hawaii. Hmm. You know, just following n- natural signs, and then like being able to row a long way and have the courage to like set out. Um, but there was lots of technology and wisdom, but 
it's wisdom that's passed from one person to the other and we don't know mm-hmm. you know it happened and that's a lot of the cool stuff in history yeah. i mean thinking of the uh the windows the stained glass windows at the cathedral yes and how they were uh, you probably know more about this being being at the cathedral but they were uh built and designed i think in germany right yeah and and then after world war ii that factory uh, and the makers, uh, the factory was destroyed. The maker, I think, had, had passed away. Yeah. And just the way that these specific stained glass windows were made, we couldn't replicate. Yeah. We could imitate, but we couldn't. And I'm not sure, was that like lost technology or was that... Um, it's probably more lost technique. Yeah, technique. Style. Right, right, but, right. But that's what you're talking about with the tools. We see tools mm-hmm. uh, and we say, oh, this is primitive, but we don't know how they used it. Yeah. And the skill. And a lot. Yeah, right. A lot of those skills and techniques are just kept within the collective wisdom of people, families, tradesmen. That's the part that scares me. If if there was like a disaster and we lost a lot of the technological stuff, what scares me is if you lost the brain, brain trust or whatever, the, the, um, the collective knowledge, or you lost the people in a certain... Uh, discipline, then it would be really, really hard to just come up with it again. You know, all those people who are professionally making cars or (laughs) even a piece of technology now. Yeah. Like one, you know, uh, there's so such distribution of industry that if you lost some of that like craft, then the whole thing can go down. I'm sure we do a lot of, a lot of reverse engineering already too. So we might be able to find it but the uh the passing on mm. of information from one generation to the other and then uh as as digitized as we've become uh, we're creating kind of digital world um even the uh i think is facebook or whatever the parent company for facebook now is is creating trying to create a, a kind I think of they're a, meta a meta the metaverse is what he's calling mm. it. it's like this marketplace for meta experiences in virtual reality See, I'm not there. And I think I jumped ship when I turned 35. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm di- now I'm done. I'm only using like a compass and a ruler. I, I think and I jumped ship before you. But a bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, but I just, you know, turn turn to topic. Um, try and make a segue here. Are you getting in there? But uh, I want to talk about a little bit about the Catholic imagination, and kind of a Catholic worldview, and how we engage with the world, um, both historically. Uh, present culturally, but um, when I say Catholic imagination, what do you first think of? Oy. Um, wow, Catholic imagination. I think of um, lots of storytelling. I think of uh, Bible stories that inform the way we look at the world. Um, I think of um, the saints and their stories and uh, our attempts to imitate their lives and just to celebrate the good things that God has done in a lot of people. I think of art, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, the stained glass that's, um, gives us a sense of wonder and, um, like, a sac, sacralization, holiness, holinizing yeah. is holinizing the word. <laughs> it is now holinizing <laughs> of from space. the, li- from the linguist, father Mike. That's Hol- right. Oh holinizing. boy. So, <laughs> Going into a place and just knowing this is there's something different here and um, it's profound. I mean, there's yeah, there's so much to the world of ideas and mm-hmm. the world of um, history and construct and 
um, yeah, that's some of the stuff in the yeah. imagination. I also think of people like um, C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. who are going to like apply the story to new realms of storytelling and analogy and all that stuff. Yeah. What got me uh, thinking about this, we, we t- touched on this a bit in one of our past co- uh, podcasts when you are asking me about kind of creative work and, and stuff. Yeah, but, that's right, your, your video um, stuff and photography. But I had a, uh, another seminarian friend of mine, Ryan Mack, uh, another companion as well, asked me just point blank. He's like, hey, how do you think we should be relating to the culture? How should we be relevant uh, with culture at large now? In America, like in our time place? In our time place, specifically America. Um, I mean, more or less the Western world. Uh, That's a is. big question. What do you give him? And I, I kind of had to pause for a bit because there, there's this tendency, you know, we, we want to be evangelistic. We want to go out on mission, right? And one of the big things is you don't want to be weird. You don't want to push people away and people just like, all right, whatever, dude, if that works for you, fine, but I'm going to head on my way. Yeah, I'm just different. You, That's you, very you unique. Need to, you need to be able to, to relate. your hobby. Yeah, you need to relate. Um, you need to encounter people. You need to inspire. And um, and yet we do need to know what is capturing people's attention right now. Um, if we're, if we're going to evangelize, we have to know what's capturing people's attention. And so in a certain sense, I wanted to tell him, you know, like, well, we've got to know what people are consuming. Uh, what, what they're reading, what they're watching, what they're talking about. Um, but then at the same time, we've had some conversations about just some really, honestly, trash in media. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff that's not worth really consuming. Um, and it's not worth consuming to be relevant with. Yeah. Uh, and so what I, what I kind of came to after... I got an example for you. Go for it. Um, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard <laughs> at war in the courts. And it's on YouTube. It's like every suggestion, every other suggestion. Yeah, right? and it's what everybody's, I mean. And they're talking about it. It came up at a wedding reception, and I had a conversation about it. But I remember just thinking, like, the only reason that I care, I really don't care. Like, I mean, I care about people, so I hope there's justice done. But I am not getting pulled into the weeds of that soap opera. And... The only reason I, I cared was because this person in front of me at the reception, she was, I don't think especially like religious. Well, I don't know, but um, that became a topic of conversation and it was a way to connect, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't necessarily like looking for inroads to evangelize or something like that, but you want to be able to relate to people. And, but some things yeah. I just don't care. Yeah, my question though, did you have to spend uh, 5, 10, 20 hours of your last couple weeks researching up, researching the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp? No, I mean, so I guess two things. One is, yeah, that's a particular case that seems yeah. to me just very superficial. And, you know, we've got, we just got through a pandemic. That was newsworthy, probably overplayed for, you know, it was probably newsworthy for six months and then it went for three years uh but then uh there was you know there's war in the ukraine that's that's worth understanding Mm -hmm. it's worth doing a lot of research about and worth prayer and concern and all this stuff and then you have johnny depp and amber heard and that's like the next wave yeah it just doesn't seem to (laughs) you know match up well and even even the crisis in ukraine 
uh, for us, it's it kind of hit the wave news cycle, and it rolls, and we hear we hear about it, and it's still it's still going on. Yeah, but it's kind of been surpassed. But the in new, the news, the news cycles kind of forgotten about it because it's not immediate to us. Yeah, um, yeah, that's how it works, right? But I I think there's yeah I think there's a, a tendency sometimes to want to be relevant by engaging all that the world at large is consuming. Well, and here's the other here's the other um, idea I had was these things are perennial. So once you know the human drama, and if you've studied it more profoundly, then there's nothing much of intrigue in observing you know the two celebrities. Or I think in some ways, even like the big turns of, uh, of war and these, the kind of trends in human history become less, I don't know, less, less uh, appealing to try to figure yeah. out. You know, when I was younger, I wa- just wanted to know, no, no. And now I feel like there are some things that I, I know pretty well and they're just recurring. You know, I'm not surprised by by the same things and um and so they just don't capture my i feel like you can take it for granted to a certain extent if you're trying to relate to people you know as long as you know if you've come to know human nature and people and you can take you can take interest in this and that you know Mm -hmm. avalanche the colorado avalanche hockey team right i do i have to know it to be relevant do i have to know it in order to evangelize no but is it right now in Colorado? That's important. Yeah. Is it, and is it fun and is yeah. it okay for me to be human and not just be in the <laughs> theology bubble all the time? And then can it be a way to relate to people? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And that brings me to finally the, the response I gave to Ryan was I said the Catholic imagination, which is tied up with a lot of what you said, but specifically the Catholic sacramental worldview, uh, is kind of the, the key to it. Um, that's what wait you got to define that or describe it i'm getting there okay sorry (laughs) so the sacramental worldview is that uh god is first creator he created the entire world he created us he you know placed us here uh we have to to work in the world to have dominion over it to till to keep from genesis um and then god enters into the world incarnate as christ jesus uh, the man God, and now we have God in the world who changes everything. Mm. And now through his church, through everything that he institutes, we have the sacraments of the church, but we also have a sacralizing of the whole world to mm. draw everything back to the Father, uh, the prayer in John that all may be one as you and I are one, um, that Jesus prays to the Father. And so this this initial sacrament which means sign uh creation itself points to the the great generosity creative uh uh, creative action of god from the beginning Mm. and then all of salvation history is the the drawing man back to him uh and especially at the incarnation and we see that through the sacraments but we also have sacramentals in the church we have devotions we have you know we we pray with images and and memorize prayers and specific places and we go on pilgrimage and there's a a view in the catholic sacramental world 
um, that everything is and can be um, sanctified uh, for the glory of God. Yeah. And now, in sin, some way, pointing to Jesus. Yes. Like drawing our attention, drawing our interest to Jesus. And now, sin, obviously, we know, is a privation of a good or a disordering of a good, right? And so sin itself doesn't point to God, but God, Christ came into the sinful world to redeem and bring everything back to God. And so um, even even in some of this content that I would never suggest somebody to really engage, I think is kind of poisonous of the mind that doesn't elevate you, that doesn't make you think of high ideals or strive to live, you know, a, a good, holy, mature life. Um, what is somebody searching for in that? What are they trying to fill? What's the gap they're mm. trying to fill there? And when I can start to understand the human drama, like you said, I can enter into their world with whatever they're talking about. Yeah. And I can engage. And so the first mode for me is not, oh, you're interested in Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Let me tell you all the information I've picked up on them because I just binged YouTube for three hours last night. It's like, no, tell me why is that intriguing to you? Tell me what's going on. Get the other person talking and then get to the heart of what they're they're looking for in that. Um, talk about a, a Netflix show craze or whatever yeah. streaming device or streaming service you have. Uh, there, there's this, these cultural crazes of this show becomes... Uh, super. Yeah, I'm super not sure popular. what's hot right now. I'm Tiger I'm, King was real <laughs> cool and COVID, but I'm I'm I don't really want to say it on on air because there's uh, there's some that are really hot right now that I think are just absolutely terrible terrible uh, shows, and I don't want people even looking them up. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, but it you see these cultural phenomenons, and I think that's where we can enter in with a Catholic imagination. Say, what are you really longing for? What are you looking mm. for? What are you searching in here? Or what is intriguing to you here? Because you got to find that kernel of the good that is being sought and then introduce them to something more profound mm. in the Catholic worldview. And, and that's what I want to talk about, the Catholic imagination. That's what I, the, the sacramentalizing or sanctifying view of the world. Of the world, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's something, I'm just thinking of the examples. Maybe they're not the best examples, but they're the examples we're working on. But things like... I'm watching this trial because we idolize celebrities, and then you're finding out that the people, the beautiful people, have uh, feet of clay, that they, you get to see reality, and you find out that they're you know, broken in ways, that they're um, not acting anymore, and you want to see, like, you know, what's, what, are, what are real people like, and why is it that I put them on a pedestal or why is it that I think they're any different than I am? And then you have just this question, I think in, in that case of why would people be dishonest? Why would they lie to themselves and other people? And this is a case, I guess, sorting out like, you know, who's right and what really happened and what's the truth. I guess any court case is something like that. But um, yeah, I think those are, those are deep questions. And they're well worth understanding, but you don't have to know that particular example to know that we're all in search for honesty. Yeah. And for us, right, so honesty is found in the person of Christ who is the most honest and, mm -hmm. um, and the Holy Spirit that can inspire honesty in people. 
Now, people can be honest regardless, but I want the same thing. So I can relate to people, Mm -hmm. um, even if I didn't know those examples. And there's tons of them. People will say, oh, have you seen this? And like you say, I say, no, tell me about it. But the tell me about it is like, okay, then we can go, you know, into more like what is, what is this catching in you? What is it inspiring? What is it? Yeah. What is it capturing? Why is it um, a desire? Why is it meeting your longing? Mm-hmm. Um, and good stuff and bad stuff, you know? There's some some worldly stuff that I, I'll pay attention to Joe Rogan sometimes. And there's, there's a lot that's just appealing and inspiring of discipline, work ethic. He seems to be a real good friend. Um, and I'm learning. Like, I'm trying to learn how to be a friend. I like life discipline and trying to learn from that. I really uh, admire the way he loves his kids. And then he's, there's a certain honesty that he and his guests demonstrate that kind of breaks out of the um, idealism that a lot of my relationships mm-hmm. kind of, um, I don't know, are saturated with. And um, and in that case, but it's it's like... Similarly, I'm looking for what is virtue, and ultimately that's kind of what is holiness and what am I seeking. And I don't believe that this guy is worth, you know, making, turning into my Jesus or, (laughs) you know, the greatest example ever. But when you see something good in someone, you can be, take inspiration in it. And I think that's kind of like to your point the incarnation has imbued everything. So if I'm searching for Jesus, which I am, that's my life's goal and project, I can find him kind of hiding in these different examples because there's almost like an echo of, of his voice Yeah. that when I see integrity, when I see um, honesty, when I see kindness, those things are like observing in some way the... Um, the sound of Christ or the the echo of Christ and most particularly in the saints um, who are living the life of Christ. And then um, in the most distilled fashion in the sacraments themselves, the seven sacraments, but those have to be kind of understood through all of these sacramentals Mm -hmm. and then even their extension of just the grace permeating the world. Yeah. And that brings me to the parts of culture that, you know, are actually higher and and more inspiring because there's there's kind of a level of popular culture that honestly isn't that inspiring, um, and it might be entertaining, and I've been entertained by it. But yeah, not, that's a good distinction. It's not that entertaining. Or it's not that inspiring. It might just be entertaining. Um, there's some that I think you know is actually dangerous and damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it introduces uh, kind of worldviews or or philosophies of life that that can become very damaging to somebody mm-hmm. especially if they get isolated um, and i should give a disclaimer for our audience that i also think joe rogan is terribly confused <laughs> and sadly very honest about a lot of things but not religion and his mm-hmm. catholic upbringing it's very sadly he's got this terrible grudge against it and he's yeah. so open-minded about everything else but he's really mm-hmm. sour on that so i don't necessarily recommend him for yeah the audience and it's interesting because I've uh, I hear so many times um, these stories of fallen away Catholics who are now somewhere 
uh, you know, comedians or podcast hosts, or I've got four in mind right now. Um, and they're not shy of talking about that. Mm-hmm. But what struck me, and, and I was listening to podcasts, not Joe Rogan, but the uh, one of the hosts was uh, Fallen Away Catholic, something else now. And he brings it up, and it's always got this kind of like, angle of you know the oh the mean catholic school and the shame and mm. the um you know it's kind of the tropes of yeah. catholicism yeah, yeah standard and and i wonder you know there's there has to be some grain of truth of that experience but how much of that has become kind of a cultural slander of just kind of like oh catholicism is you know nuns yeah. with nuns with rulers and shame and uh, imposition of rules. And yeah. It's not really for your thriving. They're just cliches. Um, and, and it's... You know, tired tropes. And I think where we go with a, a sacramental view, where we come in with um, the gospel as uh, an ever new message, um, is pointing to the one story, the one true story, which is creation, redemption, salvation. mm that's the story of humanity, um, and we can see that everywhere once we start looking for it. Uh, and we can see it in good fiction. We can see it in C.S. Lewis, like you mentioned earlier. We can see it in, in Tolkien. Um, you know, I, I read Lord of the Rings a couple times, maybe every two or three years. I try and read at least one of the books. And I'm always just kind of elevated and inspired by the characters, by the striving for, for, you know, heroic virtue. And, and there is a struggle. But right now the culture at large wants to show humanity because we're sick of the veneer of acting. We want honesty like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And so now there's this like fascination with honesty, but now the honesty means like show me all the worst. Mm. And there's a good in that. Yeah, that's true because we try to because hide it. Because there is sin. So there's like un- show me this is that's truer. But when we when we fixate on it, mm-hmm. and it becomes our our consumption and our entertainment, and it's never like oh yeah there is sin, but there's also redemption. It's just there's sin and sin and people are terrible and let's just watch it. True crime is a booming industry right now there's true crime oh yeah podcasts and tv shows and these are some of the ones i talk about like i don't think these really edify i don't think these are worth you watching um i worry about copycat syndrome um a lot of sure. things with like that yeah but we're looking at oh but this is real you know it's not a it's not a veneer it's not perfection it's because we've held up this like idea of perfection and now we can't reach it by ourselves and we've cast off religion and faith and we don't believe that jesus christ can help us do that Mm. and so now it's up to me to make myself perfect well that's an insurmountable thing so i just want to follow the lowest common denominator and say yeah there's a lot of terrible stuff out there and i'm not the worst of it yeah i can't be that bad (laughs) yeah that's Um, interesting I, i yeah i wonder if maybe people are watching that thinking see i'm not into that stuff that stuff creeps me out and makes me sad and i hope really do that those are like real exceptional cases because i tend to be like a optimist and a humanist and just think there's mostly good in people but maybe people are wondering watching that saying well what am i capable of Mm -hmm. like how dark is you know my soul if if given other circumstances and it's a really like it, it is a kind of a curious question but also like you're saying it's like 
I'm not sure that that's what honesty is exactly. And I think the good that is there um, is this recognition that sin exists. Mm -hmm. Because kind of uh, the project of the world for a couple hundred years was saying, you know what, sin doesn't really exist. It's just we got to come up with the right systems, the right technology, and everybody will be, you know, yeah, everybody will be taken care of. There's right. nothing rooted in the person. Right. Origi- Everybody's good. Yeah. Original sin, just some old, outdated mythos of Christianity, and you can get rid of that. Like that just induces shame. And and instead, if we actually look and say, no, there is sin in the world, um, it, it's kind of one of the easiest things to see. Of all the doctrines of Christianity, mm-hmm. of all the doctrines of Catholicism, sin is the easiest. Is like look outside, you know, look to your your brother. <laughs> yeah, uh, we all sin. We've all been sinned against. It's easy to see. Yeah, if you want to ask a question that everybody can relate to, you ask, uh, "What's wrong with the world?" Or you ask, "What's wrong with me?" You know, and that's just a question saying. I recognize that there's original sin and that things are broken in ways that I didn't break them, but I am suffering them and they're here, whether we inherit that or if that's just part of the condition. And I think I wonder about this, like I I do counseling with people and um, like working with, with sin and penitence and um, confessions and all this stuff. And, a lot of people are trying to figure out, and this is kind of like the self-help craze post-Freud, um, but it's our particular version of something that's been happening forever. And they say, what's wrong with me? Why am I anxious? Why am I depressed? Why am I um, afraid? Why am I so aggressive toward people? And you say, well, there must have been trauma in my childhood. My parents did something wrong. If I could figure that out, then I'll, you know be fixed or something like that and i it's just not that simple yes fine there are ways certainly in extreme cases trauma is going to affect you like profoundly but are all our problems defined by something you know i got picked on when i was a kid or something um i've got problems i got problems that are some are of my own making Mm -hmm. a lot of them aren't though yeah and i think It's nice to have a category that just says the world is broken and a mess. And my life is part of that world. That doesn't mean I, at bottom, am a a broken person or am a mess. It's just that there are parts of life that are. And, um, And I think people want to overreact and push away from that idea of people aren't perfect and will then pretend and say things like, well, like I should have this expectation that I would be perfect or the world would be perfect, or we're just not there yet, but we can fix it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I don't know. I mean, ultimately the, the Catholic worldview, the Christian worldview um, is optimistic. It says that God is saving us, you know, it tells that story um, but it also admits that we're not good at saving ourselves. We've been trying for, um, what, 250,000 years <laughs> and uh, failing. And yeah. we've developed a lot of technology. And amazingly, a lot of the times that we try to save ourselves, uh, we harm so many others. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, 
I mean, how, how often we were just talking earlier, how often does some, you know, plan for world unity turn into kind of a strict hegemony that rejects certain people and now they don't have a place in our utopia. Yeah. We get rid of them. This is one world order. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And, and so if, if we create, if we create a one world order, we create a, uh, a utopia. Well, what's that based on? Where's the brotherhood come from? Um, usually by law and force. Mm. And it's not by law decided. I mean, we're seeing this in the U.S. right now. We we were a country that came together at a time that was small enough uh, and and had this similar philosophy and understanding of the world to draft a constitution and then amend it diplomatically. And now I, I don't know if we really even believe in that system too strongly mm. and we're fighting and the only thing that we're supposed to agree on is we're supposed to tolerate others and everybody except for when they're not saying what we want them to say or who being who they want you know that you're ta- you're talking about like cancel culture stuff yeah and so now all of a sudden I can't tolerate this person because they're saying something hateful or or something to me and um, we yeah, start- it's a lot of power dynamics. It's a lot of control. Um, I love these. Well, I said I'm not apocalyptic, but I do like <laughs> post-apocalyptic stories. And something like 1984, you know, George Orwell, mm-hmm. he's, they are going to control the whole world by controlling the narrative and forming a new language and, and crafting history in the way that they um, find best. So you're 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 getting rid of any um anything that's kind of outside the norm outside of the control of the powerful and that's just yeah it was part of the perennial story is it's always shifting power plays and dynamics in the world and and there's lots of justifications everybody thinks they're in the right yeah. you know they wouldn't do it unless they think they're being heroes yeah and that's everybody and it's that's evident. russia right now <laughs> that's you know woke culture that's probably catholics oh absolutely we that's, all fall into it because we we want to say i know everything i am the supreme you know authority on truth and you're so far outside that yeah you just have to be well, get on the team and let's push everybody else out because they're wrong and i i saw i mean there's a economics uh, statistic that basically shows um, on the political spectrum uh, the odds of the Republican Party being completely ordered to truth or the Democratic Party being completely ordered to truth in their entire platform is like less than zero 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 one percent. Wait, well, who's the arbiter of truth here? Like, who sets the standard for truth? <laughs> well, that's a good question. But <laughs> like, who's this is just, a, just, a, just a mind experiment of the odds of every time you make a truth claim, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's one truth claim. Now you make a second truth claim, third, fourth, fifth. As you make more, your odds of having all of those truth claims actually align with truth, okay. which is a baseline thing which we believe as Catholics comes from God himself. Who and is, maybe like a, the idea of who is true that no one could disagree with. Yeah. That's commonly recognized mm-hmm. or something. Um, but how often do we just kind of fall into quote unquote party lines mm-hmm. 
and then just kind of take everything wholesale. And now because I'm in the party, I can't say, you know what? I like this policy, but this one seems really messed up on either side. Mm -hmm. But we just say, oh, well, they're all wrong and we're all right. And we're just going to double down. Yeah. But it's just a hubris to think. Well, it's so oversimplistic. There's nuance and complexity to everything. There's it's no, you know, clear, clear answer. Now, I do think there are some, uh, I think there, there are ways of identifying right and wrong that we should have, people should have convictions around. I think if you, if you um, kind of hollow out or like disintegrate all of the grounding for right ethics or this kind of truth, um, you end up with a lot of what society does is uh, relativize everything yeah. and ultimately you say, well, I don't know. I can't know any better than anybody else. Everybody has their own truth and you know what, and then you don't have anybody with convictions mm-hmm. and you don't have people with um, a real strong sense of what they stand for and, and believe. And there is truth. Yes. Like there is an objectivity of reality and then there's this piece that's God. And I think we can all agree on stuff whether or not we're into God. But mm-hmm. uh, we know that with the kind of um, the perspective that comes from Christ, uh, a, a sort of clarity for the truth and the direction yeah. of life. Not in every case. I don't want to mm-hmm. over-exaggerate or something. Yeah, and it's not like God gave us a, a, a scroll with an index that we just kind of, all right, this problem... Uh, follow this column and here's our yeah okay that's it you know he he created us as rational thinking beings and so this final point um as, as we're wrapping up is god created and we are co-natural with god he created us in his image and likeness uh, and so we create as well we are co-creators in this life and and the human spirit is to create, to understand, to discover. And so we are seeking at our core meaning and understanding. We're seeking truth. We're seeking beauty. We're seeking goodness. We call these the three transcendentals, right? Truth, beauty, and goodness, which find themselves in God, that God is these things Mm. and created out of this. And so now everything that points to that uh, draws us to God. And that's the Catholic imagination, that we can look at all of all of this uh, created world, everything that we create as humans, and say, why? Why are we doing this? What are we looking for? Where are we going? And now we can drill down and start to point back to Christ. And so that's my encouragement to, to Catholics uh, listening, Christians listening to the podcast, is um, to be relevant in the world is to know Christ uh, in His story. And so, obviously, we start with Scripture, and we understand it, and we study it. And then good, you know, Christian ethics, good Christian moral theory that isn't just do this, don't do that. It's why. Why do we seek the virtues? How do the virtues infused by the Holy Spirit bring us more and more to Christ and into a greater communion with Him? Um, These are the questions we start asking. And when you start asking these questions yourself— as a Catholic, and you're discovering them, um, you're going to start seeing them and breadcrumbs of them in the movies you watch, in the books you read, because the human heart is longing and seeking for truth, beauty, and goodness. 
Mm. And so even if it's something that's like, I don't really love what they did with this TV series or what they're saying, I can see what the heart is longing for or why somebody's engaging it. And now I can be relevant to this person in front of me because I understand the heart. Yeah. Yeah. I've been well-formed and yeah, we don't have to take like cheap, cheap inroads. And I feel like that's what a lot of the entertainment stuff is, is, uh, suggesting to us. I mean, it's a, a lot of the consumerist stuff in our culture is really about entertain me yeah. and it's not terribly deep, but there's enough to assess just from life experience and world and, um, relationships and everything that can lead you to that depth to relate. I like that co-creator piece. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Like that we are involved in the story that God is telling and uh, yeah. become a part of this. Well, it's interesting that the, uh, the word animation or an animator, which we associate now with like Pixar artists, you know, Disney yeah, or something. Frozen. Um, they're animators. Well, the word anima means soul. So an animator is one who creates soul in souls, creates personality. Mm. And so even in our, our creation, an author, uh, uh, an animator, an artist, we, we are animating something. We are, because we are created in God's image with his soul, we now create and we put a little bit of ourselves into these characters. And, and you watch a, a Pixar movie and these characters have their own personalities. They've been mm. given by the artist, by the animator, the one who gives soul. Well, God has done that for each and every one of us, mm. right? He has insouled us. He has animated us. Um, and part of him is in us uh, to act with him, in him, through him. Mm. Yeah. We're li- kind of living out his, his storytelling and his, yeah. his kind of dream. Cool. That's beautiful, man. So. Christian worldview. I feel relevant. Boom. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> hey. What about shout outs? Shout outs. Um, well, we recently ordained a bunch of new guys to the diocese here uh, as priests for the Archdiocese of Denver. And uh, one of them, uh, Trevor Lantine, old friend of mine from starting seminary together here, uh, he had his first mass and yeah. his, his uh, reception. So shout out to, to him. But that's kind of a secondary shout out because uh, a bunch of people rallied uh, kind of behind him to, to put on a reception for him. Uh, my mom was one of them, but uh, Sonia McGarity was cooking a bunch of food. And then kind of like the Catholic homeschoolers uh, network come together and just cleaned and cooked and set up and tore down uh, so i just want to give all of them a shout out i don't have all their names uh they the get it done head, man but what they, a great they crowd. came together it wasn't just one person it wasn't just wasn't just my mom uh coming together for it but so many so many people so many families uh, coming together to, to put that together and that was great to see um just kind of the the church local here come together to celebrate a great thing that god had done for the church yeah, making new priests uh, to serve the church. So. I remember he said in his uh, in his kind of like thanks, his remarks of gratitude at the end of mass. He said uh, people are saying, "Hey, congratulations, you did it," and he likes to say, "No, we did it." Yeah, thank you. You know, and that, that, that I considered really profound because he's thanking God for um, his you know his help, really his grace. And then all of the community who's been yep. praying for him and supporting him and teaching him and everything. Yeah. So big shout out to my mom, to Sonia McGarity, to the rest of the 
the women who helped cook and clean and the Catholic homeschoolers. Y'all awesome. I want to shout out um, my brother-in-law, Deet, David Tucker. Um, just a wonderful man, a great uh, father to my niece and a great husband to my sister. And uh, he is just uh, the apple of my eye. <laughs> And I hope the best for him. Great blessings of peace and joy. Great, great. Well, this has been uh, Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next week or two weeks or whenever. Ciao. Blessings, everybody.